0: Hello. Welcome. This is a great privilege. Um, so It is a great privilege to, to be here. And one of the things I love uh, about uh, me standing here is that uh, I get to be me and, uh, and to be celebrated for me. And that can sound a bit sort of like I've got you know, insecurity and they need my ego pandered all the while. But the reason why that means so much to me is because I'm not a generic pop-up you know, preacher person. And uh, so, I, uh, I, love, um, I love Andy Merrick so much, and it was a thrill to hear him speak last week. And as he was speaking last week, and I was holding the word that I'm holding, I thought, it sounds and looks very different, but it's actually the same. And, uh, and just to have this, where I really would commend Andy's preach to you, it's, it's just great in, in the heart that we carry and expressing all that we believe God has. And so you're gonna get the same message today, but it'll look different. So uh, so yeah, there you go, so it's a great thing. Um, I've got uh, a verse, and I've got a story, and I've got um, a vision. Or a dream. I can never remember which. I always try to remember. Do young men dream dreams and old men have visions? In which case, I want to dream dreams. Or is it the other way round? <laughs> that, that is pandering to the ego. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, a bit of my insecurity there. Um, so, I you, yeah, when I can remember. Yeah, it's uh, worrying, Andy. It's worrying. Um, but uh, like you, I'm 35, so uh, it's, it's okay. <laughs> so, it really struck me that... Uh, It's a a time of change, and uh, we've had quite a strange last six weeks. This is my New Year message um, a a few weeks late. Um, But it's it's been a season of change, and at the beginning of New Year, I like to look back over the old and look forward to the new. And uh, change, it's one of those changes here to stay things, but some people love change, and they actually get bored with it being too predictable, and they're sort of always eager for the next thing. Others just feel battered about. Can't it stay the same? For goodness sake, when is things just going to even out? And and too much change. So, you know, at the time of change, time of a new year, um, you know, some of us will love it, others will just feel, oh, I'm not so sure. But it's here, it's a new year. And uh, there's been so much change. We're in a new building, um, which is just a delight to to have Just this sense of the heritage of the presence of God in this place and the new thing that God's going to do with us here. We have a new leadership, new eldership, um, there are lots of new babies popping up around, lots of new faces, um, it's, a, it's a time of, of new things. And, and the other thing that really struck me is as a church we've started a new thing of this Bible reading plan, and I don't know if you've got this uh, Read Scripture app yet, um, and I know it's six weeks into the year, and you can think, oh, that's it, I've missed it. It's such a phenomenal thing. And even if you started today, and today was your first of January, the app just lets you do that, just keep going. Or you could just do double days for the six weeks and catch up, you know, it's 15, 15, 20 minutes um, every day just of reading. And, uh, and I've read the Bible through um, so many times, it's just been the main way in which God speaks to me, uh, and I find that in my routine, that's, that's worked really well for me. But one of the great things about reading the Bible is, even if the story is familiar, even if it's something that you think you've heard before, God speaks. And so I'd really encourage you to, to read that. That's something that, um, that really does do as good. So this is the sort of time of change, and that's the season that I'm speaking into. And so as I say, I've got a verse, and I've got a story from the early bit of this Bible reading plan. Um, and then I've got a, a vision, something God spoke to me about. Now a verse, and this is the title for what I'm going to say, is that, uh, it's Hebrews 6:19 that hope is the anchor for our soul. The verse says, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. So just hold that and we're going to come back to that, it's going to be the thing that we refer to. And the story is um, probably my favorite story in the Bible, and that's where Jacob wrestles the angel um, in Genesis 32. So we're going to go there and read that in a minute. And the context is that as we're reading through the Bible, we're hearing the story of God's intervention with man. And we get to Abraham, and he then has Isaac, and Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob, he is... He's a tricksy character. He's not the easiest to sort of settle with. He's clearly not a role model for how you'd want to say to your sons, live like this man, you know. But there's there's something in there that's clearly of God, and we're going to look at that. Um, and so the the context of where we're picking this up is that um, Esau wasn't the best either. So Esau was just hungry one day, and they'd sold his birthright as the eldest to Jacob for a bowl of soup, you know. That really showed that he really wasn't that great a guy either. Um, <laughs> but then it comes to Isaac's last days, and he's going to bless his firstborn son. So he says to Esau, Go out into the fields, hunt game, make me food, come back, and I'll bless you. Jacob sneaks in, and with his mother's help, dresses up like his brother, gets some, you know, a sheep from the, the, the fold, and uh, cooks a great meal, and gets in and gets his father's blessing. So Esau comes back, and Esau. I don't know what words to put on, but he was a little bit more than not very happy. Um, he, he was raging, and he was to the point where he was threatening to kill Jacob. Um, and so, again, just the delight of looking at the story from a slightly sideways angle. So you've got two sons, and one of them threatening to kill the other. I know, let's send the younger one off to find a wife. Seems to be the perfect solution for a tricky situation, doesn't it? So Jacob gets sent off. His mum says, I don't want you to marry any of the local girls. Go back to where we came from and uh, God's going to get you a wife there. Twenty years later, when you talk about ten years and ten year headaches, he goes for a wife. How long is it going to take? And twenty years later, he's coming back and he's coming back with two wives, eleven children, servants, and many, many flocks and herds and sheep and donkeys and, and, and all the lot. So that's the context, and God speaks to him in Genesis 31, the chapter before, telling him to return to the land of his kinsmen, and actually to the place where God had said, I will bless you in this place. So he's coming back to the place of blessing, but he's also coming back to his brother Esau. So, hmm, that's uh, the brother that you cheated 20 years ago, the brother whose not only birthright, but parental blessing, you stole from him, and you're coming back. So that's the context. Let's look at Genesis 32. And I'm going to read the whole chapter and uh, then we can pray and then pick some things out of this. So he's just left his father Laban. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named the place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of sea in the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you're to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle, donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants, and now I'm sending you this message to my lord that I might find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau and now he's coming to meet you uh, with 400 men. And in great fear and distress Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and the herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that's left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, "O oh God of my father Abraham, my of, of, yes, my father Isaac, Lord who said to me, 'Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper.' I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, and now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid. I'm afraid he'll come and attack me and my mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea that cannot be counted. He spent the night there, and from what he had, he selected a gift for his brother. I mean, this is the gift, so just imagine what he had left. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels and their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. And he put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, "'Go ahead of me, keep some space between the herds.' And he instructed the one in the lead, "'When my brother Esau meets you and asks, "'Who do these belong to and where are you going? "'Who owns all these animals?' "'Then you are to say, "'They belong to your servant Jacob.' And sent as a gift to my lord Esau. He is coming behind us. And he instructed the second and the third and all the others who followed with their hurts. You are to say the same thing to Esau when he meets you. And be sure to say your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought I'll pacify him with these gifts I'm sending on ahead. And when I see him perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him. But he himself remained the night in the camp. And that night he got up and took his two wives, his female servants, 11 sons, crossed the ford of the Jabbok, and sent them across the stream. He sent over all his possessions, so Jacob was left alone. And the man wrestled with him till daybreak. And When the man saw that he couldn't overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched. And as he wrestled with the man, he carried on wrestling with the man, a dislocated hip, and the man said, let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man said, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, because I've seen God face to face, and yet my life was spared. So the sun rose above him and he passed Peniel and was limping because of his hip. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you so much for your word and the treasure that's in it. And God, we thank you for these moments to draw together where we can look and share and consider. But more than that, God, this is life and this is where we look to you, to encourage us, to provoke us, to bring truth where there are lies. And God, that we would grow in our knowledge an appreciation of you, a knowledge and appreciation of one another, and that we would be stronger, fitter, and more able to do all that you've called us to do because of the treasure that you've put inside us. Thank you, God. So, we've had my verse, we've had a story, and I'm gonna tell you the the vision. So, I'm never quite sure, you know, in the middle of the night where, I don't often remember dreams, I know I've been dreaming, but um, it was in the middle of the night, so it could have been a dream. Um, But it feels like a vision. And it was just a dense, dense fog. Uh, It was a woodland and I was walking on the path and suddenly everything crowded in. It was so thick and dense. I couldn't see more than an arm's length in front of me. And suddenly just all those things you can imagine if you just picture that scene of everything changes. And it was like even the sounds became muted and a bit distorted. And, you know, where is it all coming from? Everything suddenly that was familiar was no longer familiar. But right in the middle of that, it wasn't a thing that I dwelt on, because right in the middle, God was there. And God said to me that this is not a time for carrying on regardless, nor is it a time for relying on old ways um, or the familiar things. It's a time to hold my hand tight and learn to listen well. So I was uh, was really quite moved by that, that that picture of the fog and of everything that that could be. But God's promise that he would be close to us and our job of holding on tight. Because Jacob had left what had become familiar for him. He'd left what had been his normal for the previous 20 years. And even though it wasn't the promised land, even though it wasn't where God had called him, it was a place that God had blessed him. As he said, I went over with a staff, and have come back with all of these servants and camels and donkeys and everything else. God had clearly prospered him, and prospered him in a context where his father-in-law had cheated him. And it sounds a bit of a damning indictment, but you know, the wages changed 10 times, and if it hadn't been for Jacob's shrewdness, but also God's blessing, then you know, he would not be you know, there with more than just his, his wife and his kids. So it was a place of blessing, but it wasn't the place of promise. It was a place where he'd known God with him, but it wasn't where God had called him. And in this moment, after everything that was familiar, he's now leaving behind, really to me felt like this fog. Because God had told him to come back, but coming back did mean meeting up with Esau. So, like the shrewd man that he was, he did everything he knew, he had a plan, and he set out all of these gifts And all these words and trying to appease his brother. And he also prayed a great prayer. I mean, there are some prayers in the Bible where if you just want a template of how to pray, this is one of those. If you look at Genesis 32, verse 9. And what he does is he reminds God of his connection. You're the God of my grandfather, God of my father, you're my God. He also reminds him of promise. This is what you've said, the general promise that you will bless through this family all the nations of the earth he also thanks God for everything that God has done for him and so is just expressing his gratitude but more particularly he reminds God of the very particular word that he'd given him God you told me to come back you told me to come back and that you would do me good and he quotes that twice in verse 9 and verse 12 he says you will do me good because he's quoting what God had said or was he and if we look back at Genesis 31, verse 3, then actually the verse, that what God did say, verse 30, chapter 31, verse 3, the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Now, what, what's, is, that, is there something wrong there? Or is this Jacob's experience of being with God, that being with God is, I will do you good? And... My conviction is that Jacob had experienced the goodness of God because he'd experienced the closeness of God. And he really did do well because of all that God had said. He'd gone over with a promise and he'd come back on a word. And all of that time, he'd just known the goodness of God. So for Jacob, the two things were related, the closeness of God and the goodness of God. But also this could be what we call progressive revelation where you understand things to a degree And then as time goes on, you understand it more, that the first way that he experienced the closeness of God was in material blessing. And very often that's true for us, isn't it? That very often, you know, as we get close to God and we walk with God, we find that he looks after us, keeps us safe, good things start to happen. But as we go on, we realize that he's the blessing. We realize that it's not so much the things, as closeness with him that becomes that. So good old Jacob, he prayed a great prayer, acknowledging that God was good, and he made a plan to do everything that he knew that that he should do. We pick the story up in verse 22 where it says, Jacob wrestles with God. Um, So that's the the section heading. And he's just escaped the clutches of his father-in-law. He's just escaped this unjust boss who even then set out with his army to try and take him back. And he's in this vulnerable place, and he hears that his estranged brother is approaching with 400 men. So, what does that say to you? That, that's, 400 men, that's a small army, isn't it? That doesn't say, you know, peace and love, brother. Um, so, he's coming with 400 men, and he was quite rightly fearful. But as we're reading through this reading plan, something struck me just as I thought about Esau... Esau didn't get the first son's blessing, but he did go to his father, said, Father, you must have a blessing for me. And his father said, By the sword you shall live. It's just one of those little sort of sideways thoughts that came in. Perhaps this was just Esau's normal. Perhaps his normal was just to hang with the boys. Perhaps, you know, I'm going to meet my brother. Do you want to come with me? You know, and we don't know. And But what we do know is that the effect it had on Jacob was of producing fear. It's just one of those little thoughts that, that struck me that, What was Esau's normal of living by the sword and, you know, hanging with 400 guys was not Jacob's normal of hanging with zillions of sheep and, you know, walking around with a stick. You know, and it's just one of those things that really struck me. Our normal can feel so normal to us, we're unaware of the effect that it has on other people. So just a little throwaway one there. So do we realize how our normal can be misread by others? But clearly Jacob had read it only one way, and he was very fearful And then you get to verse 24. Jacob was left alone. He was in the most vulnerable place. He had the prospect of losing everything despite doing all that he knew to do, despite praying a great prayer. In that most vulnerable moment, in the midst of that fog of uncertainty, in not knowing how it would all work out, when things couldn't get any worse, a man wrestles with him. And wrestles all night long. This wasn't just a quick sort of tussle and then, all right, okay, you know, and it, neither was it any sort of discussion or argument. Wrestling is up close and personal. Wrestling is sweaty and grungy. Wrestling is exhausting and sore and physical. And it was all night long. I mean, I, was some, I, I don't wrestle, you know, so no one practice your wrestling on me. But you know, I could not imagine wrestling for five minutes and I'd be exhausted. But all night long, to the point where the angel actually dislocated his hip, I mean, that is cheating. Isn't it? <laughs> That's the cheater getting cheated on. And really, it just sort of struck me, what do you do in that, those moments? What do you do where you're in the fog of uncertainty? You're in the vulnerable place where everything that was familiar, all those things that you've relied on, all the skills he's developed over 20 years that enabled him to get through. That dodgy situation, none of that was working for him right now. None of that was of any use To him, He was in this place of just didn't know what to do. And so what do we do when we're in those places of feeling vulnerable, feeling utterly out of our comfort zone, utterly familiar? And worse than that, we feel we're battling with God. We feel that, you know, what is going on? And so I thought, well, let's look at the Bible. What does the Bible say are some good things to do in these sorts of situations? So a few of my favorite verses coming up. James 1, verses 2 to 4 about trials and temptations. So what does James say we could do when we're in a trial or a temptation? Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. Really good word there. So that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Great advice, James. Thank you so much for that. But one of the problems is, that's great when you know it's a trial, isn't it? You think, ah, this is a trial. Let's switch into God mode and think, okay. But often stuff happens. And, you know, if you're as thick as me in these situations, it takes a while before you really twig as to what's going on. And you do have some choices. So count it pure joy as one choice. Run away is another choice. Why am I here? Why is this happening to me? Sitting down and moaning and complaining. This is just too hard. Arguing with God. God, I've done what you've asked me to do. You said come back and I've come back. Why is this happening? I've prayed a good prayer. I've done everything I know. You can argue with God. You can try and rationalize it. You can think, hmm, let's just stop and think about this thing. Perhaps this is a trial. Is God in this? What's God trying to do here? And, And we can sort of let our brains try and work out. But the idea of fog, the idea of uncertainty, the idea of that vulnerable place is you can't work it out. It is not a place to try and work out where are the landmarks, what's the path, what should I be doing. It's a time for holding on. And I love this man, Jacob, because he just hung on. And he hung on and hung on and hung on to the point where even though he had a dislocated hip, he was not letting go. What that cost him, we can't even imagine. But he was not letting go. But not only was he not letting go, he was not letting go and expecting a blessing. I will not let you go, he said to the man, until you bless me. And it's that difference that it makes. You couldn't just be stubborn, you can be you know, determined, you can have gritted teeth and just hanging on, and that's a good character quality. But the blessing comes when you hang on and you look to God and say, I'm expecting a blessing here. And he'd seen God bless him through so many awkward situations, so many twists and turns in his relationship. And something in him must have triggered to know that this is another time to expect a blessing, such a time to to look to God to do something that was utterly unreasonable. But nonetheless, he was going to hold on to that. Similarly, if you look at some other favorite verses in Romans 5, verses 3 and 5, more good advice. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Holding on through trials, holding on through adversity, holding on through mystery and uncertainty. If we do that with a good heart, then that produces something in us. It produces endurance, it produces perseverance. And that develops character. But it's not just that we get good character, although there's obviously all the the good points of that. But that's where hope is produced. And this is the God factor that we've got to keep in focus when we're going through these things. That as we do that, then God does his bit and he imparts to us. Because the fruit of being with God is hope. The fruit of being close to God is that things change. And as Jacob hung on in perseverance... He was also expecting a blessing. Holding on to a God who is good and who wants to do you good is where hope starts to arise. If I'm this close to a good God, then only good things will come out. And God said so many times through Scripture in Jeremiah um, that he is a God of hope. Jeremiah 29 verse 11, I know the plans I have for you, declare the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 31, verse 17, there is a hope for your future, declares the Lord. Your children shall come back to their own country. Um, Paul prayed for the, um, the Christians in, in the Roman churches, um, Romans 15:13. And again, they were going through awful persecution. They were going through Jesus, you know, everything that they'd heard and believed about Jesus, and yet suddenly the whole of society was t- turning against them. And in that context, Paul prays for them. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing. That's what godly believing looks like. It's peace and there's joy there. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. That this good God that we draw close to, this good God that has promised to do us good, this good God who fills us with his Holy Spirit will produce hope in us. And and hope, it's this... Strange thing, isn't it? Hope's not wishful thinking. Hope's not just, oh, perhaps maybe one day. Hope becomes this solid thing which perhaps isn't as formed and clear as faith, but it is very, very valuable. And it, I, I see it as like a seedbed to faith, that where hope is there, that you know, environment that you just trust in the goodness of God, even though there may still be the fog around you, even though it may be uncertain as to what's going to happen, how's it all going to work out, but hope is starting to firm up And out of that, as it says in Hebrews 11 verse 1, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Our hope turns into assured faith. It becomes the conviction of things not seen. So in that fog, that general sense of trusting in the goodness of God becomes clarity. Right, this is what God's saying. This is what's happening. This is what I'm going to do. And that's the place that we can then step out from. So my main verse, so I'm throwing a lot at you here, but... This verse of Hebrews uh, 6, verse 19, that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. And hope is this anchor. It is this place that becomes solid, that holds us in the midst of uncertainty, that hand holding tight in the fog. But it's more than that. It's not just keeping us safe through a difficult time. It's drawing us closer to God. And this is really what I've just God's drawn so much in all that we're hearing from God, that he's drawing us closer. And no matter what we see or don't see, no matter what we understand or don't understand, as we take that step to hold on to God, as we draw our hands tight around his, as we trust in his goodness and allow hope to, to, to grow, that's the place where he draws us closer. He draws us into the inner sanctuary. Behind that, the curtain, that most intimate place where Jesus' death on the cross bought the right for us to enter. And this is our goal, this is our destiny, deeper connection with God, an encounter with God, whatever that looks like. And we can look around and see how others are meeting God and that can cause us to to perhaps lose hope. But as we look at the goodness of God and it draws us into his hope, that draws us into his presence. And this fog, this mystery, this uncertainty, this change which can be scary, it's only scary when you start to realize how much you've relied on the familiar, how much you've relied on your own experience or your own understanding. But as you realize that actually there's a different way of viewing fog, that it strips away distractions, it strips away those things that you know, are trying to grab your attention, those voices and things that come, those sort of bright flashing lights, suddenly the fog has dimmed everything down. And what's there is what matters. That's the hand holding tight. That's the heart drawing you closer. And we come from that progressive revelation that perhaps fog isn't a scary place. It might be new to us and new can be scary, but perhaps it's more like starstruck lovers. Perhaps it's more like gazing into the eyes of the one who loves you and everything round about starts to fade. And that's my conviction that God is taking us to a place where we're not scared by not knowing what's going on. Or we're not scared by not being able to work it out. What matters most is the connection with Father, and from that intimate place, that secure place, that place where perfect love casts out fear, we're able to respond like Jesus did. And as Andy did so well last week, just picturing that scene where the Gadarene man, that demon possessed man, was rushing at Jesus. And what did he meet? He didn't meet fear. He met love, he met acceptance, and the life was transformed. And this is where God's drawing is it's not just me for my sake, it's not just keeping me safe until I get to heaven. It's not even giving me a sort of a happy time. All of those things are part of the package. All of those things, the way God wants to bless me. But the outcome is, is I respond like Jesus. The outcome is, is the hurting, hopeless world around us gets transformed and the love and the power of Jesus breaks out in unusual ways. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this life that you've called us into. We thank you so much that you are intimately acquainted with every part of us and you're drawing us closer to you. We thank you so much, God, that we're not in our little small corners, but, God, you've called us into a hurting world to pour out your love through us. And, Father, I ask that you'd speak peace to everyone here and that you'd grow hope to everyone here and that everyone would feel that call and that pull And that drawing close that you're doing so tenderly and so well. And God, as we grow in the security of your love for us, and the security of your goodness, that we then become the means of blessing, the means of transformation for the world around us. God, will you move amongst your people and let it be truly known that we are known for our love. Thank you, God. Amen.